Welcome to the Nebraska Abilities Podcast. I am Nate, along with my co-hosts Andy and Zach. Today we're going to be discussing the 37-43 to loss to the Purdue Boilermakers, dropping Nebraska to 3-4 and overall and 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten. Uh, definitely wasn't wasn't our best showing, but there were certainly some bright spots, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And so we'll be getting into a little bit more of the meat of kind of how the game went out. Uh, look at the offense, defense, special teams, uh, run into Mickey's postgame presser, and then we'll probably run a little bit of a college football roundup from uh, last Saturday as well. But uh, with that, I'll go ahead and pass it over to Zach. Yeah, uh, for me, it comes I, I decided for this one that there was going to be one word that I attributed to the game, and that word for me was fight. Uh, not that we never saw fight from the Nebraska team before, but something under Mickey Joseph and, and company just seems like this team has a lot of fight, a lot to give, and they're going to leave everything out on the field, uh, and they're also going to let you know it. And it was, even though we lost, it was still a fun game to watch. Um, well, for the most part, I guess. There was quite a bit that... Uh, you know, had me wanting to pull my hair out. But overall, I still had a lot more faith and a lot more, um, I don't know, I guess fun. And I just, it was just one of those games where even at halftime, I wasn't, I wasn't dejected to the point where I told myself that the game was over already, kind of like I had in the past. Uh, this one definitely made me think like, I think we can make, make good adjustments. But that was also part of the difference with Nebraska football that we haven't seen lately is up until Mickey took over, we hadn't seen adjustments. So the way Purdue was playing going into halftime, if it was under our previous coaching staff, I don't know if it would have gotten much better. Uh, Although they were also known for their one-score games, so who knows. Uh, But no, the game to me comes down to one word again, and it's fight. And we saw a lot of it on Saturday. And I still somehow feel confident in Mickey's abilities to be a coach. Whether that means he gets the job or not, we don't know. But I do think he's got a lot of potential. And I think he is definitely building his resume in a way that is uh, more towards confidence of putting putting the program in his hands. but obviously we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But that's my overall quick thoughts. We can get more into the meat of it. Andy, what's your thoughts? Aiden O'Connell needs to graduate. That's uh, that's my bottom line here. Uh, that. <laughs> I think that we've been talked about Zach. He's got, I thought more about what you said about like, just he's like that kid in high school that you've never liked at all. To me, I also think about that when I think about Derek Carr. It's just like he's got that face that is just like something about him just makes you want to hate him. And he just he needs to go. I mean, he's what's year six as Purdue's quarterback. Yeah, it's just it's one of those like I think Mickey said it after the game, like he's a veteran quarterback. He is not going to make mistakes um, unless you force him to make mistakes. And, you know, outside of that first air out pass that Hardzog picked off. I mean, that was the only mistake that O'Connell made the rest of the game. Um, we knew that he was going to pass a lot. I think what he had 54 passing attempts. Um, so despite how many passing attempts he had, I, the way they ran on us all night, I was thinking, Oh man, they don't even need to pass the ball. 
that much, but they're going to stick to what they know best. And that's passing with O'Connell. And uh, I hope somehow he doesn't get another graduate extension or whatever other reason he can stay another year. Cause I am tired of playing him. Um, he did this to us last year and doing it again this year, obviously, but the game overall, it wasn't so dejecting for me as I should have known that this was coming. I know I reverted back to Nebraska winning last week when I originally hit pick Purdue. Uh, probably should have stuck with my gut on that one. Um, also, I didn't think my score was going to be as close as I predicted it. I thought it would be another ugly Big Ten game. Uh, but despite that, you know, it was still a shootout type game. And I think it was one of those wake up calls to Nebraska saying that if we get into shootout games, you better make sure you get the ball back at some capacity. Um, I think this showed like this is that type of game is what Scott had wanted in the past from his teams, like the offense to go out and score quickly. And then their defense to kind of hopefully stop them in which that never happened. Um, it's the offense that Scott had promised of a fast, quick pace offense that'll score, score, score every time they get the ball. And you know, hopefully your defense will get a stop or, you know, get a turnover so your offense can keep scoring. And I think this shows that that's not the type of system that will work, at least right now with uh, this team. Um, the defense is just what Purdue ran 101 plays. <laughs> that is the second most all time that Nebraska has ever faced. I think the number one all time I saw was Iowa state back. I think it was the bill Callahan era um, where they ran like 102 or 103 uh, plays against the defense. So it's, it's one of those things that like the offense is very much boomer bust. Now, how much of that is credit to Purdue's run defense versus our trash old line. You know, you can kind of go back and forth on both of those debates, but um it was kind of how I was thinking earlier in the year, like with Georgia Southern or Oklahoma. I'm like, if you try to get yourself into a shootout type of game, you aren't going to come out on top because we've never been that type of program. We've never been that kind of team, no matter who is under, or like who is coaching us, um, at least not in the more modern era of football. Um, but those are just my quick initial thoughts. Uh, we'll dive more into the offense and the defense, but overall, you know, not surprised by the the result. I still think, like, if we would have won, I would have been happy that we won. But also at the same time, Purdue proved that they were the better team Saturday. Or, yeah, and got the win. But, you know, if we somehow would have escaped, I would have been happy about the win. But at the same time, I still would have came out of that game thinking, man, Purdue is still the better team. But they somehow found a way to win type uh, thinking. But with that, we'll pass it over to Nate. Uh, we'll dive more into the offense here. Yeah, so just kind of diving headfirst into the offense. I mean, stop me if you heard this one before, but our O line is just bad, 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 bad. It's... What? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think that's us. I don't think that's right. I think I was just looking through our notes, and there's probably four or five instances where it's our O line is garbage, our O line is trash, our O line is bad. It's just it. <laughs> It baffles me so much how bad, like, a lion can be. It's just, I don't, I, like, I truly do not get it. Um, I, and I have no idea 
if we need like if you i still want to blame donnie but at the same time he inherited the situation too so it's not totally on him that these players might be bad but at the same time you still have to develop them some but i think i think he just inherited a bad offensive line um and obviously having Prohaska out does not help in the slightest. But at this point, I don't know how much that would help either because everybody else is seemingly bad. Yeah, no, I think I definitely agree with that. And I think that's probably why we haven't seen him get fired or anything mm-hmm. is just because it it is a bad situation. We don't necessarily have the right personnel where they should be. Um, had some injuries as well. But uh, yeah, I think... That's definitely something that's going to plague us moving forward and something we're going to have to overcome somehow. I don't necessarily know how. I know Mickey said that he wanted to keep trying a few different um, permutations of uh, getting the offensive line, different guys in different places, but I don't honestly know if that's going to help much if you're putting bad guys still in (laughs) the same places. So. Definitely something to look out for, but I'm not going to hold my breath, I guess, on our O-line improving too much over the next few games or even over the bye week. Maybe maybe we have some magic fix in the bye week. Maybe we can bring in uh, some other mind that knows how to coach offensive line a little better, but I'm not, again, I'm not holding my breath too much there, but... At least the bright spot on the offense was Trey Palmer, man, <laughs> setting the school record. Was it 237, I believe? Yes. 237, which is just incredible for him. Uh, he had a great game. Seven receptions, two touchdowns, 237 yards. Like, he was he was unstoppable out there, and that was really what propelled us to uh, staying in the game. I know early on the offense wasn't necessarily there. They had some trouble just moving the ball at all. But then once we, uh, I think, established the run game a little bit, wasn't necessarily dominant or anything, but we at least got a couple yards here and there. It opened up our passing game a little more and uh, drew some DBs in so we could get the ball to Trey Palmer and Oliver Martin and a couple of those guys. So. I think the thing that skews like the rushing yards uh, from Saturday, because you look and like, oh, 122 rushing yards. They ran the ball pretty well. One of those mm-hmm. is obviously the Trey Palmer reverse. And then yep. Casey scramble. I don't forgot how much that went for. But, you know, those two chunk plays added the majority of those yards. Um, so if you take those out, I mean, I'm sure the rushing yards would be like, you know, probably 60 ish or something like that. Um so that that kind of masked how much like rushing we actually did. Um, but I mean, if you add the, you know, Trey Palmer's reverse to his receiving yards, I mean, he had 297 all purpose yards, which I do believe is fourth all time at Nebraska. Um, it's either the third or fourth all time at Nebraska. Um, I think Amir and Roy Halu are like one and two. Um if you don't remember Roy Hulu's like 324 yard game against Missouri in 2010. And then mm. Amir did it like somewhat better 2014 against Rutgers. Um, but that's, you know, Trey's not on special teams. So I'm sure if, you know, he maybe took more of those kickoffs or actually returned some of those punts, they probably could have bumped those numbers up like Amir was doing back then. But um, I mean, yeah, just a record setting day for Trey. But I mean, yeah, I think, what's get lost in translation is we did not have a good rushing day at all. Yep. 
Yep, and I think I just I was just looking. Anthony Grant had eleven rushes for thirty-five yards, so three point two yards per carry wasn't not a good day for wasn't anybody. Anything great, yeah. And I'm I mean I'm guessing you can probably attribute that again to our offensive line play just not holding up at all. But I I know we we've seen over the past few games that Anthony Grant has kind of slowed down a little bit. I know they're it seems like they're trying to game manage or load manage um anthony grant a little bit too so i'm sure that's part of it but and i know we had talked about that purdue is what the number 20th rush defense Mm -hmm. in the nation so obviously we saw that very evident that that wasn't going to (laughs) happen that they were not getting much on the ground so we were we were wondering all week you know what's this offense going to be like when you face like your best big 10 defense you've faced all year so far um Mm -hmm. I guess the Oklahoma game, I just, I don't know because they were good and then they were trash and now they're kind of good again. But um, in terms of point, like statistically on paper, this was probably the best defense they'd faced all year. Um, And it proves that, you know, Purdue is stout up front and what having like any sort of a competent line, whether it be offense or defense can do for your team. Yep. And I mean, credit to Purdue. They showed out and they, they stopped the run and made us try and beat them over um, in the air. And we almost did. <laughs> but uh, it honestly just wasn't wasn't meant to be in the end. But it really seemed like we opened up the playbook a little more after kind of the second half. It seemed like we were playing kind of conservative um in the first half and again the the offense was just kind of sputtering that first quarter second quarter they kind of started to get things going a little more but it wasn't really uh i don't know i didn't see too much encouraging from the offense honestly until that last drive uh right before halftime where we were able to get that field goal we just didn't seem like we could move the ball at all hardly and so that was that was something interesting to see, and I guess my hope for the future is that we just keep Casey upright and <laughs> keep him alive, because <laughs> there were definitely a few times where they were in the backfield just within seconds. And that first I... sack that he took, and then like I saw like the still photos after it on Twitter, I was yeah. like, how did Casey like come out of that and not hurt? Because he like yep. got picked up off the ground and slammed. I was like, oh my god, he <laughs> might be like dead dead on the field (laughs) (laughs) but luckily he's somehow staying alive and i don't know hasn't shown too many signs of injury yet but um hopefully he he deserves this by safer yeah (laughs) i'm sure he's looking forward to it and (laughs) getting plenty of ice baths in (laughs) but um that's kind of my uh just quick and dirty thoughts on the offense i'll go ahead and pass it over to zach and see if he has anything I've got a few things. Um, mainly just I think we saw another episode of two different halves of Nebraska football where the first half was slow and sputtery and was it, it kind of picked up in the second quarter, but still just didn't seem like it was there. Uh, but, I mean, we stuck with them enough to – to have a little bit of confidence going into the, or at least I did, I should say. Um, I had confidence that there would be some good adjustments made, but I think we saw what happens when you go against a team that also knows how to make adjustments. And even with the, even with us playing a better second half on offense, it just, 
it wasn't enough to overcome Purdue. Now, you know, Purdue this year is also on a, on a tear, I think compared to the previous years. And Jeff Brom is no slouch either. I, you know, he's a veteran coach. coach and he knows what he's doing. And he definitely is not uh, somebody that should be overlooked. And I don't think Nebraska overlooked him, but I think there were a lot of, of fans that, you know, me included drinking the Kool-Aid after wanting to go for a three in a row um, after beating Indiana and Rutgers, you know, it's tough to, it, it's, it is tough to see a loss, but eventually we had to come back down to reality. Uh, but I still maintain that we came back to reality in a pretty positive way. Uh, and the team never gave up offense, even with the two interceptions that Casey did throw, which, I remember thinking one of them, I was like, he has no line. What's he supposed to do? You know, that one, it happened. And I was like, yeah, I'm, that's that was going to happen at some point. It, I'm just surprised it didn't happen earlier, I guess, because our O-line was, again, not good. Um, the other one, the other interception he had, I remember thinking that was entirely on him, just a, a poor throw. But, I mean, you know, it, that I don't think the interceptions were the cause of the loss of the game entirely. They didn't help. They certainly didn't help. Um, It also didn't help that. um, So I went and looked and I don't know if there's any truth to this, but I thought this was interesting. But I was looking between just the different O-lines and specifically between Nebraska and Purdue. And something that I noticed for Nebraska's O-line, you know, even though it is shifting a lot, there are quite a few pieces that stay there. And one of the things that stuck out to me so we have some really tall guys for offensive line, mm-hmm. tall and heavy. You know, you would think and that's what you want in an offensive line, but I have this thought, and I never played offensive line, so I don't know, but I just have to think that in order for them to get up and at their angles for their blocks, that they, because they're so big that they're not able to get there as quick as someone. And, I mean, I'm only talking a few inches here, but, you know, Bryce Benhart is 6'9". Brant Banks is six eight. I mean, we got people that are anywhere between six three to six nine on this on the line, and then and everywhere else it looks like six nice. four and six five is an right. average. <laughs> and it's um, noted that Casey's only six one. So, yeah. I mean, that you're you're asking a guy to overlook like six to seven inches over his lineman to try to find his targets, and. Not that like if we had seen more passes into like the back of his lineman's head, then I'd be a little worried. But um, I mean, that's just another added thing to Casey's vision is like he's got to look over those offensive guys while looking for the, you know, the linebackers, the safety sitting in the, the middle of the field, which he did not see on that first interception or else he would have either overthrown over the defender or what. But I mean, he threw it right to that linebacker sitting there and, you know. Looking back on it now, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe pump fake or, you know, choose a different target. But I mean, it wasn't a bad, pe- like, idea because Volk, like, had all the space in front of him if he, like, had caught that ball. Um, but I mean, that it was just he straight up just didn't see the guy sitting there. And that's like, oh, you look at the replay and like the guy did not move at all. So, Kate, I mean, Casey just didn't straight up see him. But back to your point, Zach, I mean, that's something to account to is he's trying to look over you know, these really tall linemen and he's not very tall himself. Right. And just it, I mean, again, I, I don't know the analytics behind it and I'm not going to claim to be an expert on it. It just seems like 
our offensive line is always trying to play catch up because by the time they get up on their, well, on their block, they're already being missed because they're trying to get up on that angle, you know, from the line so much quicker or so much, you know, they're trying to get up and it's taking them just that half a second longer or something. And, you know, I don't know if that's why our offensive line is so not good. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I've also heard from people that supposedly are close, and I'm saying I heard this on Twitter and stuff. I mean, I don't know how much truth this is, but people are saying that uh, Duval is using an antiquated system for strength and conditioning. I mean, I don't know what they do, so I can't necessarily say that's true or not. But if that's the case, we've got really tall, really heavy guys that are, you know, the greatest lifters ever, but you know, they might not be lifting in the way that's supposed to get them the speed to get up. So I I think there's a lot of foundational cracks that are leading to a lot of these problems that we're having that hopefully gets fixed with, you know, whoever the new staff is going to be, but that's a whole, that's a whole different ball of wax. But uh, another thing that I wasn't overly impressed with, even though our offense did actually, I, I shouldn't say I'm not impressed because we had 476 total yards. Um, I mean, that was compared to their 608. So this was definitely a, a track meet game in case anybody didn't watch it. Um, but something that really has been a stickler, I think, for us this year so far, even you know before Mickey took over, is our third down efficiency is just poor. I mean, this one wasn't as bad at three and nine, but again, I'm comparing that to Purdue's offense, and they had nine of 18. They were 50% on third down, which goes back to what I had said last week too, where it was like, on third down, I always, I, you know, I started feeling a little bit more comfortable. Like, hey, you know, we have a chance to stop here. Um, maybe not so much after this one, but <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, fifty percent is still not anything to sneeze at. Uh, and then they had two. Uh, Purdue had two of two fourth down um, conversions too. So I mean, they were one hundred percent on fourth down when they went for it. But I mean, again, that I think all of those stats and those types of things just kind of go to their coaching and the fact that Purdue has had a solid and stable coach for so many years. We're, we're playing with house money. I feel like at this point, just to see what we get. Um, and I mean, it, it does suck because we also lost the turnover battle, which we'd kind of touched on before, which that and the time of possession, uh, difference, uh, our 17 minutes to their 42, uh, that's, that was, I remember seeing that stat afterwards just out of curiosity. And I was like, Whoa, I mean, even, even with watching the game, I remember thinking like, man, it seems like they've had the ball a lot, but I didn't think it was 42 minutes worth but, or 101 plays or 101 plays. But I think that kind of speaks to the offense that not necessarily that we're necessarily going for right now, but I think it's the offense that we have that it's just the big plays are what's going to try to save us. And unfortunately we just came up short, but honestly, I think overall the offense outside of the line, I wasn't overly upset with. Um, I mean, I wish we could have run more, but I knew we weren't going to be able to because their defensive line is, has been really solid. Uh, they, I mean, I, I don't know what else to really add there. I guess it just was kind of a, a blah, offense for Nebraska compared to what we've seen recently. But again, I think it was just a come back down to reality situation for us, which 
maybe that's good. Maybe now uh, with the bye week, they'll have some time to work on it and maybe find uh, some solid offensive line play that we can, you know, maybe finish out the year with better, better shots and whatnot. But we'll see. But with that, I will pass it over to Andy and get your thoughts. Did uh, did we mention how good Trey Palmer is already? Who? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah <laughs> that that Trey Palmer guy is pretty good. If you we know, didn't, we just did now. So I, we're kind of. I, I think you know. I think he he had a pretty solid game. Um, I and that's the part that baffled me the entire game. It's like you you are like you can do it once a game, and then like the defense will pick up on it. Purdue never picked up on it. And that's the part that like baffled me a little bit. I was like, all right, yeah, like let's keep taking the shots, but like they're gonna figure it out to like double team him. And they was never it, did. Was it that they couldn't figure it out, or was it that Palmer just kept scorching him? Because he was passed was almost every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, they were trying to scheme around him and they just right. couldn't. And it was just it was like weird. You like, yeah, you could you can get away with like maybe one or two of those a game for like any team. But the fact that like it was like every pass in the second half that Trey caught was some sort of vertical route that he was behind the defenders. <laughs> so, I mean, credit to, I mean, Whipple recognizing that and it's like, all right, Trey, if you can go do it, just keep doing it. And they kept doing it type thing. Um, but if we want to get really nitty gritty and start to pick apart uh, the other things that happened outside of Trey Palmer, um, the random Ramir Johnson appearance. Don't know what that was about. Um, Cause he only had what, what one rushing attempt and then he pulled them out of the game. It was, mm-hmm. he got a good chunk they, out of it. I think they had said on TV that Anthony Grant had something like they thought he needed to look at, or they needed to look at, um, right. To where like they thought he might be injured. So it was Ramir go in there, but I don't know if that's right or not. I don't remember. It's, it was, it was odd. Cause it's like, that was the first time I think we've seen him on offense all year. And then you don't put in yet who was the backup throughout most of the game to grant. And so it's, he had one rush for 17 yards, that big, I guess the quote unquote big run play for the offense. And then that was it. Um, and we never saw him again. So don't know what to even make of that. If that's even something we consider going forward or if whatever, but um just a, a random note about that because I thought it was quite odd um, with that. Um, but second half, I mean, Mark Whipple does what Mark Whipple does coming out of the half. You get Trey on a wide open deep route uh, score, kind of gets you right back into the game there. Um, the And then the one time two runner reverse that's not on third and one was the correct time to do it. Obviously it worked out for Nebraska, um, but I think it was that drive then you get the ball like the three yard line and then you don't run the ball again. They went shotgun three straight passes. And I just, I was like, you know, you're three yards out. And if you don't get it on the first run, then yeah, you're okay to pass it. But like to pass three straight times and not get anything out of it is baffling. Cause that Mickey had said at half that, you know, this, you can't settle for field goals. This is going to be like, you need to score touchdowns to win this game. And they settled for a field goal that drive. Um, I also think that's the play where Casey missed Alante Brown wide, wide open. Like that is correct. Could not, could not be more wide open. And I, I admittedly, like I jumped up and I was like, Oh, he's got him. And then it was way over his head. And I just kind of collapsed to the floor. And it's like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't know how you could draw up a better, 
like a better play to have just a wide open guy in the end zone, nobody around him for like five yards. And over just kind of another example of that questionable play calling, though. And I mean, this is kind of the third game we've seen it too, right? Just like some head scratching decisions. It's just I don't, I don't get why. Like if you shotgun and run it, that's one thing. But like to not even attempt to run at the three yard line, just to see if you can get any sort of push or get like Grant or Yant to just kind of muscle their way even closer or kind of like scrape in. Uh, Cause I think the first touchdown of the game Yant scored like that, or one of the touchdown plays that Yant scored was like that. So the fact that they didn't try at that possession just was kind of irritating because obviously they settled for a field goal and, you know, four points could have made a difference of how Purdue calls their next offensive possession um, or, you know, how, closer the game might have been if you had gotten you know those four extra points off the touchdown for that but uh yeah the second interception that casey threw i mean that was it was just a bad bad play by casey bad throw by casey trey went outside casey clearly threw it inside right to the guy and i hate the announcers for that they're like oh it's incomplete and everybody's getting up and celebrating i'm like no i'm pretty sure he caught the interception and the answer's like no 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 it's incomplete and i'm like i don't know dude you you should probably recheck the replay cuz he clearly caught it and then they showed us the replay i'm like oh, okay yeah I'd like that's an interception but so just, all we just had to do is you know be like hey don't show him the replay like, right don't show him the replay <laughs> like that was an interception guys and that's didn't work. One of those where, you know, I Casey is just in, he'll have like Mickey, Mickey had said after the game, like Casey will have really good plays and he'll have not some really good plays. And it's just kind of what we've seen from Casey all year is, you know, he will have drives and he will have games and passes that are like super good. Like, Oh my God, you know, this is so great to have this kind of like a passer. And then he'll throw those, like you miss wide open guys or throw interceptions. And you're like, we just we don't we don't get it and type thing of and I saw the stat and this kind of goes into the whole Adrian Martinez conversation. Adrian has not thrown a single interception all year at Kansas State. And it's that, wild what you can do when you have a coach that plays I know. strengths, huh? Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's I and half of that is Kansas State is more of a running team for sure. Um Adrian's done a lot more running the ball than he has done passing. the, uh, But I think he's like 138 passing attempts and no interceptions this year. And Casey's got like, what, nine already type thing. So it's just kind of one of those. I think, you know, maybe we just kind of expect that from Casey every game is he'll make some really good plays, some really good throws. And then, you know, he'll make some boneheaded moves. And I think that second interception hurt more because we had stopped Purdue. It was either off the missed field goal or a punt. but. You know, you had a chance to come back down and tie the game kind of early in the second half and just get some of that momentum. And then that interception happens. So it was just one of those like it was a really inopportune time to have that interception. But I think that's just something with we have probably had to just expect from Casey is kind of some sort of level headed. You know, we can't get too hyped about him because he's probably going to make some of those errors. Um, and some of that might be just, you know, he has to get the ball out quicker and he has to make quicker decisions because he doesn't have a whole lot of time to throw with the offensive line. What I would love to see is, you know, even though he missed Alante Brown wide open, I mean, that was a bootleg uh, play action pass that worked out because it got him out of the pocket and he had, you know, time to throw a time to look for, you know, his open receivers. 
So I'm hoping that's something, you know, Whipple kind of considers to do more if you need to scheme around your offensive line, not giving Casey time is kind of roll him out, see what he can do type thing. Um, so, and that's where like having Volklek or like, you know, Brewington, hopefully, um, can make some of those just flat out like those tight end flat passes where you really need uh, like a bigger, stronger guy to make those passes, um, make those catches too. So hopefully that's something, you know, Whipple looks over the bye week and does um, to kind of scheme around. I mean, you have to scheme around this offensive line. Like you cannot just drop back and hope that Casey has time to pass it because he does not have time to pass it at all. (laughs) Whether it's out of shotgun or under center doesn't matter. Um, And, you know, if you're if you aren't able to run the ball, I mean, that just makes it twice as hard to try to scheme up anything on your offense. As we saw, I mean, there's they couldn't establish the run at all and set up whatever they want. Um, but I could I mean, I credit Whipple to just going four verts with Trey Palmer every play because it seemed to have worked. Um, but I don't I don't know how good the corners are for the rest of these defenses going forward. I know these are top. 20 defenses in the nation that we're going to be playing the rest of the way out here. Um, in terms of their secondary, I don't really know, but you know, it's something just to keep an eye on of, are we going to see teams starting to double up Trey going forward? And if that's so, you know, you're really going to have to rely on Marcus Washington, Alante Brown, Volkolek, uh, just to hopefully be open more and make some of those passes. If Casey comes to you um, type plays, but with that, I mean, the offense, obviously trash offensive line, you know, very much on pace to win our weekly fire into the sun award. Um, I, they, they just might be a permanent winner. I don't know if we really need to debate it anymore every week. Um, I think they take the cake this week. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's going to be generous to find somebody else at this point. Cause it's that was the I easy one. My vote. The secondary didn't have a great game either, but, I mean, you go up against Aiden O'Connell. I mean, that's just what he's going to do. And unless, you know, you get some of those key turnovers off him, which are also rare, you know, he's just going to pick you apart, which he did type place. Um, But with that, I think that's really all of my nitpicking of the offense. It's just like you said, Zach, some of just some questionable play calling uh, still that we're seeing at times. You know, obviously we're happy about the touchdowns when they work, but, you know, it's if you want to sustain drives if you want to kill clock i mean you're gonna need some of your dink and dunk plays like purdue did uh just to kind of sustain drives and win you games when you need them and not always rely on you know the long ball or some big some big boom plays that are going to get you in scoring position and i think that's just what the offense is right now is their identity is you know you hope you get a, a long run or a long pass on a couple of those drives that'll just set you up to do more of what you want to do but I don't know how sustainable that is going forward when you start to play you know, Illinois next game is obviously top number one at the top of the Big Ten West, but really looking solid right now type uh, team. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see just what they come up with during the bye week, how they're going to scheme around their trash offensive line, because at this point you really need to. I just don't know. I don't know what else they're going to be able to do offensive wise. If you can't get any sort of rhythm on offense to sustain drives, if you can't run the ball, um, that just, it hinders the offense so much. If you aren't able to get grant going or get Yant going, 
um, to make the defense kind of pin their ears back because if they know that you're going to pass the ball against our trash offensive line, they're going to blitz six, seven every single time and get home every single time type plays. Um, it's, and I think I made a note of that earlier. Uh, it's like, yeah, if you're going to do that, you know, you need to run more screens, more slants. Uh, you just need to get the ball out of Casey's hands quicker. And those are the types of plays that are going to be able to do it for you. Whether that happens, I don't know, but I would, if I was a defensive coordinator playing against our offense the next coming games, I would just almost blitz every single time, especially if we can't get the running game going. I mean, it's proven that we can't stop any sort of blitz. <laughs> and I think Casey took a, a one of those sacks on just like a free roaming blitz. Like a guy came untouched, took a shot. And those are the plays. Like, I don't know if you blame the offensive line or if you, blame like Casey for not being able to pick up on certain situations of what a defense is in. Like, Oh, if they're in this, they might, you know, be blitzing the outside linebacker. They might be blitzing the corner. So I got to make sure I have protection on that side type thing. Um, but it's easy to blame the line and rightfully so, but I would love, love to see them come out of this by week and they really need the scheme well against Illinois. Cause if you look at the rest of the schedule outside of Michigan, they're probably the scariest team in terms of who we play next. Um, Wisconsin does not look good. Iowa definitely doesn't look good um, in terms of threats to score on you. But, I mean, Minnesota is iffy. I mean, I know Tanner Morgan went out with a concussion against Illinois, so remains to be seen what they're going to do. But, I mean, they still have a top running back in the, in the nation. We're going to be playing two top running backs in the nation these next couple games uh, with Chase Brown and Mo. But I would I would love to see our offense do something that can't sustain drives and can get you points that aren't off big Trey Palmer plays. If that happens and that's how we win games, that's fine. I don't really care. But it's just it's not sustainable to run your offense like that because defense will just scheme against that and force you to run either dink and dunk plays or run the ball. And obviously we have proven that we can't do a lot of that, but that's enough of my rant for the offense. I guess I really could go on longer, but <laughs> with that we, Oh, I mean the defense is, there's a lot more to rant about the defense. So <laughs> God, we'll go with Nate. Alrighty. Yeah. So I truthfully don't have too much to talk about with the defense and uh, honestly, not a lot of it's good either. <laughs> it was a pretty abysmal showing by the defense. I know I had put down in our notes. That it was just not ideal that we were giving up 200 plus yards in the first half. And then seeing that we gave up 600 yards total means we gave up another three to 400 in the second half. So it didn't exactly get much better uh, in the second half. So that is unfortunate to see, but it wasn't necessarily a shock to see, I guess, because we knew we were going to be going against a team that is more veteran laden and just going to be very well prepared to play against a defense like ours. And they really, kind of took it to us they didn't really hold anything back they i know started off with a lot of running plays to uh, really kick off the game and i think they were just testing to see if our uh, run defense would stand up to it which it did not and then 
that just really opened up the passing play for them as well, uh, moving into the rest of the game where Aiden O'Connell was able to just kind of pick apart our defense, a lot of dink and dunk type plays where it wasn't necessarily big plays that were beating us, but it was just these little five to seven yard pass plays that uh, we just couldn't stop and didn't really have an answer for. And so that was disheartening to see. And back to the running game, it just seemed like they were getting, you know, five, 10 yards deep before we even laid a hand on them, which uh, was not something we had seen against Indiana or Rutgers um, necessarily. It definitely wasn't great against Indiana or Rutgers either, but we were at least, you know, attacking the ball and playing pretty well. So I think we missed Luke Reimer on defense. I think that was definitely a big, big step back for us, especially in the run game. I think he brought a lot of that firepower to our kind of middle of our defense where the running game usually got stopped and then losing Nick Henrich uh, down the stretch as well. I think it was second quarter, if I remember right, where he went down. Uh, that or second early in the second half, but it was closer to one of those two. Somewhere in the middle of the game there. Yeah. Hendricks went down with a pretty extensive leg injury. It seems like, and unfortunately he's, he was out for the rest of the game and all reports as of right now sound like he's going to be out for an extended period, unfortunately. So I I would think that one of the beat writers reporting that they saw Nick walk back to the team bus after the game on crutches and a leg wrap is a yep. is a pretty telltale sign that things don't look great for yep. him, unfortunately. Yep. So I mean, we wish him all the best, but we're going to miss him at least for the next couple games, if not the rest of the season. We'll see how things unfold, but. Uh... Hopefully with a bye week, we can get uh, Luke Reimer back. I know he was at least, I think he at least was in pregame warmups, maybe. Don't quote me on that, but. With Purdue? Yeah. He was, was in he street, street clothes. clothes for, okay. mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew he was for the game. I wasn't sure if he actually warmed up, but yeah, hopefully a bye week, we can get everyone a little healthier and at least bolster our defense a little bit. Uh, I know going into Illinois, it's going to be tough sledding again. They've got a running back who is apparently, some people are telling me he's uh, in the Heisman conversation a little bit as well. So that's not not ideal for us going forward. We already have a pretty porous run defense. And if we're missing Luke Reimer going up against even better running back than a freshman from Purdue, it could be some tough sledding going forward but it just seemed like the defense even when they stepped up it was only to force a field goal instead of a three and out or anything so they weren't necessarily holding Purdue back by any means and Purdue was just kind of scoring at will doing whatever they wanted and wasn't really met with too much resistance and so I think Bill Bush did a decent job with adjustments again I think it's kind of like we're talking about with uh, Dominic Raiola, where it's you're just kind of given the hand you're dealt, and you got to make the best of it. And I think Bill Bush is really trying his best. They still, they look like they're at least trying, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and so they're they're at least fighting out there, and not not necessarily giving up. They just may not be the best defense out there. <laughs> and <laughs> so that is unfortunate, but. Uh, just kind of the reality we're faced with right now. And so I think 
those are just kind of my thoughts on the defense. Hopefully we can get healthier moving into Illinois and hopefully we can look over some game film. And uh, it seems like I know I was talking with someone else. They said that they were listening to the radio broadcast and uh, Damon Benning mentioned that the issue isn't necessarily being them being in the wrong place. Cause it seems like a lot of our defense they're where they need to be. It's just a lot of executing after that wrapping up and tackling. And so that's at least good to hear that we're getting our mind around the game and understanding kind of our positions where we need to be. Um, it's just kind of the executing down the stretch and actually putting it into practice. And so hopefully it's something we can build from and work on, work on as well, moving into the bye week. But yeah. Aiden O'Connell had his way with us, and <laughs> it was not fun Unfortunately. to watch. So with that, I'll go ahead and pass it over to Zach on uh, his thoughts on the defense. Aiden O'Connell uh, for sure was a problem, um, but he also played lights out. Uh, he, I mean, our defense was nothing special, but there were quite a few throws. I remember talking to you guys saying that Aiden O'Connell was just hitting things that were um, um, like, it's very impressive. It was one of those things like he looks like he could absolutely play on Sundays. And I'm, I guess he might, I don't know. I'm not an NFL scout by any means, so I don't know what they look for, but he looked like a, a strong NFL prospect against us. But that also is Nebraska's amazing ability to make any team look like a top 10 contender for the national championship. So that falls in that category, but we can't forget about Charlie Jones, who is also a sixth year receiver who Mm -hmm. also had his way with us. And you can just tell, um, yes, Trey Palmer (laughs) had the most yards receiving for us with 237, but Charlie Jones definitely didn't uh, hold back either with 12 catches for 132. Mm -hmm. Um, he also had two touchdowns on top of that too. So, I mean, he, you know, obviously the connection between O'Connell and Charlie Jones was solid and we couldn't stop that. Um, Maccabee, uh, if he isn't, if he wasn't the starter, he definitely probably is in the running for it now. Um, because he, he ran all over us. He had a career he, game. <laughs> he's a walk on freshman. Yep. <clears throat> that was I remember them saying that on the broadcast and yeah, I was just he, thinking like man he looks like what Nebraska fans think the walk-ons that we have are like and it just he he uh yeah he had his way with us I mean huh. that's basically the whole story I think in a nutshell is that uh Purdue had their way with Nebraska's defense uh 38 first downs for them we couldn't stop them if we wanted to I mean we had a few stops but it didn't matter in the long run because they were pretty much able to score on command. And if it wasn't that they were scoring on command, you saw it in the last drive. Um, They just killed clock. That's all they had to do is kill clock. Uh, I think I was looking at the play-by-play just out of curiosity. And it says here that their last, their last uh, drive was five minutes, and 55 seconds Mm -hmm. and all that. And I mean, they didn't score. They didn't, they didn't, do anything really special they just whoop, and they down the ball and that was it so what, what you want out of a team to close out a game yes and purdue per, purdue played that game absolutely perfectly at the end there for you know what they wanted uh props to them and again you know i don't i don't think nebraska overlooked purdue by any means um it's just that's the toughest competition 
uh, that Mickey's faced outside of Oklahoma, but I don't think necessarily the Oklahoma game is necessarily a fair one to give his uh, give as a comparison because I don't know any coach that could have come in and done anything within a week to have that Nebraska team beat Oklahoma. Uh, maybe, but <laughs> I don't know. That one doesn't seem like a fair comparison to the rest of these. So, uh, but the defense, like you said, Nate, you um, which goes back to what my point was earlier with them, you know, seeing fight, but also with Bill Bush just making those adjustments. There was something at halftime that I said, you know, we're we don't look good right now, but I feel like he's going to make some good adjustments, and he did. Uh, I mean, you could just tell, like we didn't necessarily play lights out on the defense, but we definitely played better in the second half. Um, and whatever the adjustments were that were made, uh, they did at least enough to keep us in the game. And this was weird. This one was a weird one for me because Nebraska was supposed to get blown out. If you talk to, you know, the odds makers and everything, we were supposed to get, we were supposed to get, you know, blown out by two touchdowns and we, we stayed within six. I mean, heck there at the end, we were still within scoring potential. Uh, we just we just gave up too much, which really is what killed it. But congrats to all those brave betters that finally bet Nebraska <laughs> to cover the spread because we did go. Hope you won a lot of money on those bets. No kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you can just tell. I think I, I don't necessarily think that Bill Bush is the issue in this case. Uh, you know, he's working with the hand he's dealt. And I don't think people are really blaming him either. I should probably preface it that way. I think, unfortunately, it's... um, I saw a bunch of people on, like, Twitter and stuff asking, like, why don't we run zone? And Bill Bush has come out and said, we basically can't. I mean, he says it a little better than that. But he basically says something to the effect of, we have to run man, which is obviously a much more uh, high-risk, high-reward defense, but the personnel that he was given is basically putting him in the situation of we have to run man because it's just a, a simplified version of offense to where, you know, the idea is you cover the guy that, you know, you line up across from where with zone you're getting into a bit more complicated schemes and stuff. And I would be curious going forward if, you know, Mickey is retained and if Bill Bush stays on with Mickey, what he would do with guys that, he would want for his schemes and what he could do in that regard. Because I think, I think Bill Bush is really like almost there in terms of like making the defense turn the corner. And I hate to be the guy that says, I don't think we just have the talent. I don't think we have the right talent at the spot, but it also doesn't help that they were able to dink and dunk over the middle for seven yards every time because we were missing Reimer and Henrich. So, and that's, that was my point the entire time too, was, you know, how much of that is different if you have, two of your starting linebackers in that game versus backups that rarely have played all year, let alone played the rest of the half against a veteran offense. So it's one of those to where, you know, could they have made more plays? Could they have made more feel like open field tackles? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's like how much more do they really add when you have O'Connell and, you know, Jones going off passing wise? I mean, there's chances that, you know, you stop, McAvee or McAdoo uh, more up the middle with Reimer covering the hole or plugging the hole and Henrich if he's healthy type plays. But, you know, that's just over the middle of the middle stuff. That's not including the corners that were getting burned all day type thing. So how much of it made a difference and how much it could have made a difference, you know, that remains to be seen. But I 
it definitely would have helped for sure to have Reimer in there and Hendrich healthy. But at the end of the day, it's one of those. I still think, you know, we still come out of that with a loss, regardless of Reimer and uh, plays or not. But that's just kind of, I had that same thought too. Uh, but it's, I, just, I hope, I hope they figure it out. Cause I, I agree with you, Zach. It's, I also had that thought of if like, yeah, if Mickey's retained, I mean, do you keep Bill Bush? Do you just, like, I haven't even begun to talk about or begin to think about like what, coaches does mickey keep what does he get rid of type like things like does he want to bring in other people that are different than whipple and bush and you know travis fisher the secondaries and corners and everything like that it's like yeah if you want mickey like mickey's just one guy i mean everybody else that's still a coach is still a ripple effect of the scott frost era um it's it's just one of those like i haven't even begun to thought about what staff he brings in type deal um yeah that's that just kind of goes with if you keep bill bush um you know does i don't even know how what type of defense he wants to recruit either um hopefully nothing that resembles bob diaco but the strain <laughs> oh I, 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 know. I think we saw i think we saw some of that this last weekend though too so right but you I still, can, I, mean, I still think Bill Bush is better than Bob Diaz. Oh yeah, oh, I'm just gonna throw that far, out there <laughs> by far. No, I've, obviously that's not hard to compare the two, but it's it's one of those where I just I don't know how much of a difference Reimer and Henrich make for that defense in, against Purdue because even with like Henrich in there, the first half, I it clearly didn't make a difference at all. I mean, they still ran whatever they wanted to do run on our defense, so. It's it's just one of those puzzling things of if Mickey's kept, I mean, he's he has to make changes. It's like, what are those changes? I mean, are you going to keep the two guys that Scott brought in? One that you specifically promoted to defensive coordinator after you fired Shenander type playing uh, deal. So I'll be I'll be curious to see if Mickey gets that job, like what he wants to do, because he has to do something. I mean, you. And we said it before, like during our Scott Frost podcast, when he got fired, I mean, we're going to be feeling these effects with players, with coaches, the culture for like at least a couple years down the line. I mean, this is not going to be hire a new coach. Everything gets fixed. I mean, it's going to, it's going to take a couple of years for this whole thing to shake out and play out and kind of get rid of that mentality that he had left on this program. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, to your point, obviously hindsight being what it is, you know, we can sit here and speculate. Could we have won? Couldn't we have won? I, I think, you know, with the adjustments that Bill Bush did make, um, even with Heinrich being out most of the second half, if it wasn't the entire second half, I don't quite remember when he went down. To me, I, you know, I, I think with Reimer it would have made a difference because I still maintain that he is kind of the, the catalyst that runs our defense right now. Um, and you could just, you could just kind of tell our defense was a little, a little, maybe not off. I don't know, but how better to put it, but they just seemed a little, a little, uh, off compared to what we saw with, you know, Rutgers and in Indiana, at least, I mean, they still played hard and they still fought, but they just didn't seem to have the same fire. And I still think it's because, you know, Reimer wasn't there for a lot for that game. Um, mm -hmm. would he have been the difference maker? Mm, tough to say, but I think he would have had a, a hand in it and probably would have at least kept uh, 
O'Connell a little more honest and not just give him the down the middle pass plays all the time and probably would have plugged up the holes a bit more for uh, to stop Maccabi, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I you know defense was just not. The other thing that I know that we commented on in our text chat as well as our notes that we have pulled up here is uh, we just went back to being unable to tackle <laughs> for a while there. there. I know I know. in our friend group we love to play the uh, take a drink every time there's a missed tackle. And I applaud those that actually did that during Saturday's game because there, there were a lot of, a lot of missed tackles. It's notably, Quentin Newsome going for the shoulder tackle and completely whiffing i i don't that one's not even a take a drink scenario that one's finish your drink because (laughs) Mm -hmm. i saw that and i was like no like and i will say and i think that was probably one of the adjustments (laughs) ironically enough that was made because it finally did get better in the second Mm -hmm. half but i still think it was too late and purdue also made enough adjustments that it didn't matter um so and that could go back to that point of like I don't I don't remember how long Newsom's been in the program, but like that very well could be, you know, if the rumors are true that they never practiced tackling when Scott was here in practice. I mean, that could be just to that effect of like, that's what he was taught all these years in college. And it's it's one of those to where it's mind blowing that that was allowed to happen and go on. But, you know, it's I've never understood the, the shoulder first no arm tackle type approach, but you know what happened? He got burned on it and nothing more you can do about it. <laughs> they tried to play hit stick football from back in old Madden days and stuff. <laughs> I love the truck stick. <laughs> it was fun in a video game, but you're not supposed to do it in real life. <laughs> Every football coach worth their salt will tell you, Hey, wrap up and bring him down. And that's, and that's where I agree with you, Zach, having Reimer in that situation, he would do that. I mean, that would help to have him in that situation, but, um, that's it for me. I don't really have too much else. to add. I don't have, I'll give it to you, no, Andy. <laughs> there's defense. Oh, I mean, you guys said it all. I don't really have much to touch more on the defense other than, um, couldn't, they couldn't get a stop when we needed them in that last Purdue drive. Um, and that's where you know, burning those timeouts earlier in the game where you enter that drive with one of your timeouts when you probably needed all three, um, you know, could have probably stopped Purdue. But I mean, that's credit to Brom knowing that and running plays to obviously get the first downs because he knew it's like if he gets into the situation where we have to use our timeouts, we only have one left and we're screwed after that. So um little, you know, we kind of have praised Mickey for, you know, having better game management uh, throughout this time. But, you know, that was one of those times where it kind of reared its ugly head of having to burn timeouts early in the second half. And when that happened, I was like, well, if this game gets any somewhat close, you know, that might come back to bite us. And it did. Um, but, you know, that's credit to Brom on that and realizing that and uh, making us pay for it. And our defense couldn't come up with that stop. It needed to get the ball back because I've, Brown probably knew it too, that if we got the ball back, there was probably a good chance that we could tie it um, just the way the offense had moved and that we were burning their secondary in the second half. So um, he probably knew that too, which is why he went on it, uh, that fourth down drive, which, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is with teams using QP draws on fourth downs against us in big game moments, but it's the second time it's happened. 
And I don't think that one was a draw. There's still Connell escaped the pocket, but he still ran for it. Um, obviously, remnants it back to the Georgia Southern game where they intentionally saved that QB draw for the fourth down play and got the touchdown out of it. So, um, you know, could have Mathis. Mathis probably should have had him on that play, but, you know, O'Connell breaks out, and that's what you get with a veteran guy. He's able to do that. Um, sees that he has room to run, gets the first down, and that was essentially game right there. But outside of that, I mean, you guys pretty much touched on all the points on defense. But special teams-wise, you know, got another blocked punt. So slowly turning into one of those Iowa special teams plays, um, I hope. I mean, that's if that's the bar we're comparing to, it's a pretty good bar because Iowa has a pretty good special teams. <laughs> Uh, for that but um, I kind of laughed that when I saw when we attempted the first field goal uh, we made it that was the first field goal attempt since Scott got fired so that was about three and a half games that we waited to kick a field goal (laughs) outside of a PAT and we did it we did it multiple times so that was a kind of encouraging to get uh, Timmy Bleakroat back out there and kicking some not PAT field goals and making them this time so Good with that. But outside of that, I would be curious to see because it's the second straight game we've seen on kickoffs that teams kick it short on our kickoffs, um, knowing that we won't return the ball. So they're going to make us return the ball. So I would love to see some sort of adjustment out of that. Of If teams know that we're like going to fair catch it every single time it's kicked, not like not out of the end zone. You know, what kind of more skill positions are you going to put in there if, you know, Akeem is going to kick one side because our tight ends are over there, you know, or what are you going to do with that? I mean, obviously, if you kick it short, you can still for a catch it. But, um, you know, it's the second straight game we've seen teams kick short to make us purposely return the ball. Um, So I would love to see us kind of scheme around that because I think all those teams still have that mentality, even though Scott's not here, of they're making us they're forcing us to make those returns or do plays knowing that we will probably screw it up somehow. Um, And that's, I think that's one of those things that like we have to get over, like you have to get over that mentality of we aren't going to make those mistakes if we have to get called upon. Um, So hopefully we see that kind of special fix with the special teams. But I mean, outside of that, I don't think there's really much else with special teams that kind of, was glaringly bad or obvious um just the block punt helped kind of keep momentum going early but with that um i think overall uh just obviously a a loss is a loss at the end of the day no matter how you look at it um definitely didn't expect to win that um by any means as much as the kool-aid as i love to drink but um we knew purdue was the better team going into that they proved it uh going into that game and unfortunately you know that's just kind of the reality as you look at it is if you could kind of future thinking i mean you got five games left after the bye week you know you need three wins and if the big 10 wasn't as bad as it is now you would kind of look at the rest of the schedule and think maybe one more win the fact that wisconsin is not great iowa's not great minnesota doesn't look as good anymore you know there's a chance you can maybe you know sneak out a couple more of those wins michigan's a bunch uh, of just looking at the schedule um (laughs) i'm 
Gonna hope someone clips that and holds on to that. <laughs> that was a bold claim, Nate. So if someone, <laughs> if someone comes back with, back at you with that, just be prepared. <laughs> All we can say, good luck. Um, I'm glad that Illinois is at home. I mean, that's just a slightly better advantage to maybe pulling out the upset. But I mean, they're going to be ranked coming into Lincoln. Um, so, that, I mean, that'll be a fun, well, hopefully fun game. I shouldn't say fun game right yet. I mean, I'm still kind of scared of them. They look really good this year. But uh, just Trey Palmer is that dude. Um, I don't think there's any other way to say it. These, he's just really good. <laughs> That's where we just kind of got to leave at it. You know, he's not – he – I think when I made my season prediction at the beginning of the season – I was kind of under the impression that like, we wouldn't have a thousand yard receiver. And I thought that maybe Palmer would get to like eight, 900 yards. And he's at like 790 something already with five games left. So there's a very high chance he eclipsed the thousand yard record and probably breaks the single season record for Nebraska in receiving yards, which I think Stanley Morgan has right now. I'll have to double check and verify that, but that sounds pretty accurate of that but i'm glad i'm wrong on that take it just hasn't resulted in you know a lot of positive wins for us uh at this time but what i kind of wanted to talk to you guys about is the if we keep ranting about the offensive line which we will is you're gonna unless we like clean house all the offensive line and get new offensive line in here we're probably gonna see these guys for like another year or two and that is quite disturbing because obviously they're trash right now, but generally what time you're supposed to get better. But, you know, the program is just such an flux to where, like, you don't know who your next head coach is. You don't know who your next offensive line coach is. You know, is Donnie going to stay after this year? Is he going to get fired? He might get fired in season. I don't know yet. Um, but I just wanted to kind of toss it around to you guys to just kind of, you know, what what has to change you know is it coaching is it getting better guys you know is it something where you can get guys out of the portal like you can with a trey palmer or casey thompson or you know do you have to get a coach that is going to recruit these you know strong offensive linemen and not you know i think a lot of these guys were four to five stars Yeah, I mean, do you guys get, you know, these guys out of the portal or does recruiting rankings really matter? Are you going to go out and try to get four to five stars uh, out of, you know, these bigger states that have bigger offensive linemen? Or does that come back to if you get a coach that recruits around the line and you can develop some of your two to three stars to be these big like type NFL type linemen that you want on a team? Um it's just it's such a puzzling topic to talk about because, yeah, you can clean house, you can fire guys, fire coaches, but, you know, these players, unless they transfer out, are still going to be in your program. So it's something that, you know, Mickey has to address. Trev has to think about and address is you need someone that is going to develop your players, develop your line. And it's it scares me that this is the line now, unless you get a guy that can come in here and really change them. I mean, we might be seeing these guys for another year or two, and we don't even know if Casey's going to come back for another year. You know, you got Chubba and Logan on the backup and 
we have barely seen any of them next year. They might get, you know, quote unquote murdered, but not really murdered next year. If, you know, our guys can't block for our quarterback. So I just wanted to pass that around to just kind of get your guys' thoughts on where does Nebraska go from here and trying to fix the line because it's whatever we're doing is not working. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a bit of a rebuild, unfortunately, where we're going to have to just kind of start from the ground up. We'll have to live with what we have right now um, for at least the next couple of years and hope we can just get some guys in the program that can buy in, that we can really bulk up and um, bring in. I don't know. I think I saw some something on Twitter that said we should be going for like the kind of shorter, faster type linemen, more that are in-state that we can get and then beef up within the program and develop from there. And so I think that is certainly a direction that I would not mind entertaining, at least. Um, it's <laughs> if I think it goes back to Zach's point where we're seeing these tall, big linemen that are having struggles um, getting off their blocks or getting to their blocks. And so... I think maybe finding some guys that are a little smaller, a little more stout that are, that can get to their blocks quicker might be a direction we need to go. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly what the fix is, but I think it's definitely going to be a multi-year um, fix, unfortunately. And so that's kind of just my, my thoughts on that. I don't know if Zach, you have anything different or. Not really different. But I'm kind of in this odd middle ground with the transfer portal because a lot of people that have talked to me in the past, including you guys, I've always said I like the idea of the transfer portal, but I think sometimes it becomes too much of a crutch. Um, however, they did, I think here in the last year, come out with uh, some restrictions to it. So now there's only a set couple periods of time like through that are set on the calendar now that you can uh, designate yourself for the transfer portal. And the only other time that's not on the calendar is when your coach leaves, which this kind of goes both ways because I remember thinking when Scott got fired, like how many people are we going to see leave the portal? And as of right now, correct me if I'm wrong, we've seen one and nope, everybody else seems to buy in. So I think one that's going to help sell people to come here. Now uh, I'm pretty sure when Paul Christ from uh, Wisconsin got fired. He actually had, or not him specifically, but there was an alignment that was a five-star recruit to Wisconsin uh, offensive lineman to boot. And he had entered the transfer portal. So I think it's out there. And I think, you know, I, if Mickey's the guy that gets it or whoever is the next coach, I think whoever has it next is going to hit that transfer portal hard because, I mean, why not? That's I think I think that's how we're going to have to have our rebuild success initially. How much success that translates to, I don't know because I, you know we thought we thought that Mel Tucker had the answer at Michigan State, and while I mean they're not doing terrible, they aren't doing as good as they did last year. Which you know, one use case is not exactly uh, answer for all transfer portal success stories by any means, but you know, I, I think Mickey also has enough clout to his name and he's also again building himself a good resume that if he's the guy that gets it i think his name alone would attract a lot of people that 
you know, might be at a, might be at some place like Alabama or Tennessee or Florida and they're not playing that they might want to come play. They know they can get guaranteed playing time here and they might enter the portal. They might just not enter until the off season because I don't think they can, which, you know, I, I think I, th- I see both sides to it, but I think the portal is going to have a lot more than we think. The only reason that we just don't ever really hear about them is because the only ones that you really hear about the transfer portal are like the big names that go to be a receiver or they go to be a running back. You know, I'm not saying offensive linemen don't make a splash, but I, I don't think you hear about them as often just because people are like, oh, we don't care about linemen. But if you watch football, you should know linemen are very important. So, uh, no, I think, I think, you know, I, I'm just going to keep saying, you know, with Mickey, let's, I'm just pretending like he's going to be the guy just since he is the guy right now, um, that's running it. You know, if he is the one that retains the job, I think he's got the right mindset and the right attitude that he will be able to pull in some pretty good, uh, either portals, uh, portal polls or recruits. And it could, I think it could be really interesting. Again, do I think it's going to translate to uh, super success right away? No, but I do think that, you know, we'll see better success within a couple of years rather than having to go through the cycle of, you know, waiting three to four years totally to see, to see, you know, what happens when the new coach brings in his guys, you know, we're still going to see those effects regardless because that's just how football works the way it is. But I still think Mickey will have enough pull as will, you know, if Bill Bush gets retained and I guess I don't know what Whipple plans to do. He's getting up there in age. He might want to retire. You know, I think if those three stick around, then we could see some pretty immediate success using the transfer portal and then recruiting as well. But I think the other thing is that, you know, whoever comes in um, to be the next head coach is going to have to do something with the strength and conditioning program because, we have big guys, we have athletic guys, but obviously something between them being athletic and them getting the job done offensive line wise, at least is getting lost in translation. And that's the only place that it can be happening. I, I mean, of course there might be just some people that are using the stars that 24 seven and rivals and whatnot puts out on their name and be like, well, I'm a five star. I don't have to try. Well, you know, that's a whole different conversation, but there are there are obviously is something that's being lost between their talent and what's going on. So that I think that to me is I think the thing that needs to change regardless. Um, you could have anybody in there. You could get your you could get your big beefy Nebraska boys that you know everybody is clamoring for since the '90s because that's how we won championships back in the day. Fine, but as long as we're willing to you know train them to be college linemen and beyond we're not going to see that success, but you know, I I think there's a lot of good that will come out of it, but I think it goes back to having the guy with the right mindset. That's going to chase after those people that he sees as potential um, successful starters. So we will see. Right. And that is, yeah, it's just one of those. It scares me going forward because I think obviously we know this next head coaching hire is a very big decision uh, for Trev and for the program in general. It's just, I don't think it has to be a home run hire. Um, It doesn't have to be a sexy hire either. It just, it has to be the guy that is going to be right for the program. And that's why I've always said, like, I'm glad that Trev is making like an adult is making this decision rather than a bunch of like 
you know, 21 year olds uh, that wanted Urban a while back. <laughs> oh, don't thing. worry. People still want him. <laughs> oh, People still want him to come here. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that's like, you know, unless you clean house of the line, I mean, these guys are going to be here at least another year or two. And unless we see significant improvement by the end of the season, it's just, it's not going to get better. And I don't, other than just cleaning the house and getting a guy that's going to build and develop guys around the line, it's just, I don't know where, where the program is going to go. It's, it's so, it's just, you can't, you can't, like you said, Zach, you just can't get anywhere in college football now without any sort of offensive line or defensive line. Um, it's proven Purdue proved that um, they, they kept O'Connell clean all night. He did not touch the ground once until that last play, which was roughing the passer at the end of the game. Um, I'm about, I'm sure that's like the only time he went to the ground. Um, it's just, it, it, it shows that if you have any sort of a stout line, on either side of the ball, you can get things done. Um, now, I don't think you that's... necessarily need to clean house, though. Either no. I'm not saying I'm not saying you're fully. I don't know off if that is that. the answer. I I mean, I I do think that whoever becomes head coach, it's gonna be it's gonna be decided probably at the end of this year, right? You know, for Nebraska, unless we make a bowl game, which we still could, but uh, I tough. I think this I think that again goes back to whoever takes the job bring in their strength and mm-hmm. conditioning coach and someone. And again, I, I'm, I'm basing this entirely off of rumors that, you know, I read on the internet that, you know, our strength and conditioning uh, team there, maybe not everybody, but like overall is just more focused on how much weight they can do rather than how to, how to speed them up and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that like we could see some immediate success in the off season if we get the right guy for strength and conditioning, but right. I also don't know what that means. Like, and if that even is the issue, and honestly, I think if we get the right guy and we see those, those changes happen right away, then we'll know. But mm-hmm. until that happens, we aren't going to know, but right. that's my, that's my 50 minute take on it. <laughs> <laughs> and well, we could discuss more next week too, uh, for the second by week preview Illinois episode. But with that, I mean, we. How about uh, how about those volunteers? We wanna uh, wanna go see some Rocky Top <laughs> around around the city. <laughs> I my uh, my father in law who also listens to this ep- or uh, listens to our podcast. So <laughs> shout out him uh, is originally from Tennessee. So I know immediately after I saw they won, I had to you know text him and be like, so uh, how about how about the Vols, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was, and, and of course, uh, you know, like the, uh, the goalposts yeah, get, drug out of the place. get that, that out of here. <laughs> athletic department asking money to raise, like starting a GoFundMe to go get new goalposts from wherever they buy them because they don't have the money to afford them. Like, get out of here. You're telling me the Tennessee athletic department does not have enough money to buy new goalposts. Give me a break. If that's all it takes to get goalposts, though, starting a GoFundMe, I could get some in my backyard. So <laughs> maybe I'll start doing that. Oh, but I mean, that was such a that was a fun game to watch. I mean, that was back and forth. You know, you, I thought Tennessee they had that muff snap and the Alabama returned. I was like, oh, this is where Alabama pulls away. But thankfully, Tennessee had the competence to actually run an offense and score some points and win the game. But I mean, that was a fun game to watch. Um, 
other notables, I mean, the first half of Michigan and Penn State looked pretty good. And then Michigan decided like, oh, yeah, we're better and ran away with that game. Yep. Uh, Minnesota, Illinois looked, you know, still good. We'll talk about them next week. But uh, they kind of handled Minnesota pretty well. Uh, what a, oh, yeah. The Michigan State Wisconsin overtime game right before our mm-hmm. game started was uh, intriguing. I was like, oh, man, Wisconsin, you know, Jim. Leonard might be, you know, the guy to pull him out of the woodworks and then, you know, still lost. But I mean, Braylon Allen, Braylon Allen still scares me because he had what 123 yards, two touchdowns that game. So that's gonna that's gonna be such a fun matchup, too. We're just gonna we're just gonna have another Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor moment type play. But uh I think outside of that, I think another bit of piece of news that came out today which we will certainly keep an eye on is the Lancaster County judge had ruled that the university of Nebraska has to disclose the metric mutually agreed upon in Scott's contract. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on. I know we got that, uh, the USA today put out that lawsuit a while ago, uh, when that was announced saying like, Hey, we have to know these, metrics i mean this is a public contract i mean it's a public university so you kind of have to disclose them because i'm sure they were written down somewhere so they finally ruled on that today that you know at some point we hopefully will be hearing about that now i'm sure the university is probably going to appeal it but um and then later uh trev alberts on his radio show was asked about it and he kind of indicated that you know he didn't explicitly say that this was the metrics that were agreed upon, but he said that the standard is, you know, incremental progress in getting to a bowl game, not backing into a bowl game, but at least six wins, quote unquote, from athletic director, Trev Alberts. So that sounds more of like him saying that the standard at Nebraska is like at a minimum should be that. And Scott didn't meet that. Now, whether that was the exact phrasing um, we probably won't know that unless that gets disclosed in the actual formal writing of his contract. But, you know, it's some new light that we have on a situation where we all probably thought it was some sort of six win number, at least for Scott to keep his job. So for Trev to come out and say that was the standard for Nebraska just kind of shows where his mind is of where he wants the program to be. It's like, yeah, there has to be progress, you know, at least six wins, a bowl game consistently is what Nebraska should be striving for. Um, But like I said, that's, you know, hopefully we get to see what the actual disclosed contract writing words were. Um, But from what that, from how I read that, that just sounds like what Trev says is the standard for Nebraska, not necessarily what was in Scott's contract, but just a little bit of piece of news that came out today that probably will be, uh, not sure how much we need to focus on it because Scott's gone now, but I'm still kind of intrigued by it because I think that is something that, you know, if, if he says that with a future hire of a head coach, like, you know, if that's the ride he's going to keep taking, then that's something we need just to keep an eye on if we want to be fully transparent as an athletic department as well. But it's kind of what I have to say about that. I don't know if you guys have any other quick final points to wrap the show up here. Not any big ones. Um, I I think for the contract thing, for me, it's more of a concern going forward 
like, you know, I know those details are usually made public, but now that we have metrics that are going to be attached to it, does that become something that is going to be so fine and detailed that if, you know, like, okay, next year, like, oh, we want to see six wins at what I'm not saying that's what it should be next year, but just Mm -hmm. next year, I want to see six wins in a bowl game for whoever comes in here. Okay. Well, if they don't do that, but we see marked progress and we only go five and seven, does that technically mean that contract? And I'm not a contract lawyer, obviously, but does that mean that like people are going to be all up in arms because he didn't meet the standard? I mean, I I don't necessarily think it sets a bad precedent. I, I just, am concerned that now are people going to be way too focused on what these metrics are rather than, and that's even if it goes forward mm-hmm. because we shouldn't have also, we, I, in my opinion, in year five under a head coach, you should not be having the conversation of, can you get to six wins? Um, and that's not a slight to anybody that we've lost, but no one thought that <laughs> no one thought that we would not start the season three and zero. We had all the momentum from the offseason, which we know how much of a dangerous Kool-Aid drink that is. But we have had, you know, we had all the momentum carrying us. We had all the talent. We had things working out for us, you know, new coaches, new structure, everything. 3-0 and seemed not like a cakewalk because we still had to get through Northwestern. But after that, it was like we, if we beat Northwestern, the momentum carries us all the way through. Mm-hmm. And we still didn't do that. So... I think, you know, while I'm sitting here saying, eh, these metrics might become a problem, I don't think they're going to be the same kind of metrics we see again for the, the for a while because no. mm-hmm. again, we shouldn't have be having to be we shouldn't have had to have those conversations going into year 5. But oh well. I want to know what Hoybergs were because they said also in that same disclosement they said that Hoybergs don't have to be disclosed because they were never written down. <laughs> So I really want to know what Fred Hoiberg's were. <laughs> and I'm hoping it's along the lines of just be good. <laughs> and, and that's it. Or don't suck. <laughs> Get good. Get good. Could you, imagine if that's, could you just imagine if that's the only metric that it is? And Trev is like, yeah, I, you know, I, we, I wanted, we wanted to see six wins. And it's just, like I said, one bullet point just says, don't suck. Don't suck. No <laughs> onsides. <laughs> well, then that one, that firing should happen in one. I'll show you, Trev. Here's an onside. <laughs> Golly. He wanted out at that point. <laughs> no, that's well, yeah. all. That's my thoughts on well, it. So, Nate, if you got anything, Nate. we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, no, I don't have anything to too crazy else i think six wins should have been kind of the standard that uh scott was given and unfortunately didn't work out for him or fortunately i guess maybe at this point but um yeah i think not not too uh surprised by that i will say that the georgia southern loss keeps looking a little okay they beat number 25 james madison so it Still isn't, cool. isn't the worst blemish on our record, I guess. So we'll take that for whatever that's worth. Well, the Northwestern loss is still pretty bad. Yeah, that's definitely the worst. But uh, yeah, other than that, USC went down to um, Utah in a pretty close game. That was exciting to see. And then Oklahoma State losing to TCU was pretty surprising to me, the least, as well. So. No more Lance Leipold. He lost. He's off the list. Get him <laughs> off the list. 
Lose one game, you're gone. <laughs> well, we might as well take a Randolph yeah. list then too. <laughs> and Mike Gundy. No more Nick Saban. I mean, no wait more a Nick minute. Saban. Mike Gundy was on our list too. <laughs> I a didn't very, know that. A very long shot. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty eventful week in college football. Um, hopefully, should be a little, little more uh, stress free this weekend with Nebraska having a bye week. So I think we're. We could still lose it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there are ways. <laughs> all I want to pass on as a, as a final thought personally, and I don't know how many people from Tennessee may listen to this, but if you guys could do your team a favor and get those goalposts back, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be really nice. Do you guys want to play football or not? Yeah, I don't know if they have just like a warehouse of goalposts anywhere or how that process <laughs> works exactly, but... Oh, they play UT Martin next weekend? Oh, my God. They don't need goalposts. Just go for two every time. <laughs> That'd be funny. What is this, the XFL? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> they have a non-conference game next week. What do you mean you need goalposts? <laughs> Just go for two. You never know. Could be, could be one of those uh, barn UT Martin's four and two, you know? So. You remember when we'll Oregon see. did that to us against like against us a few years ago and they didn't do any of it and came back to bite them in the butt because they lost by three. (laughs) When all three of those points were easily field goals that they could have attempted but never did. (laughs) We'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, it's uh, pretty... Should be a pretty uneventful week for Nebraska football, at least. And I think there's a couple of decent games. I know Syracuse, Clemson's probably the headliner. Clemson! Yeah, both undefeated, so that'll be, looks like an 11 a.m. game, because why have the good games in primetime? You don't want to watch Northwestern and Maryland? When you put it that way, no, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, and now that you said that, I still don't. (laughs) Stuff that I could convince you to watch. (laughs) But yeah, I just want to go ahead and thank everyone for uh, listening this week. I know. We appreciate all the support that we have. And uh, if you want to check us out on our socials on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Nebraska Abilities Podcast, we'd appreciate that as well. And, you know, I guess we'll just finish it off with if it's a possibility, it's a Nebraska ability. <laughs>